Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are in the book of Deuteronomy still, um, making our way through to the end of Deuteronomy. Um, of course, we have special Torah readings for the high holidays. So our lectionary gets interrupted by the special readings for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Second Day Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret, Simchas Torah. Um, but actually at Simchat Torah, at Simchas Torah, we come back to the lectionary in that we finish Deuteronomy and begin Genesis again. So we, we need to, each of us, make a couple of calls before the end of the Chagim, before the end of the holidays, to everybody we think needs to get their tushies here for beginning another year of Torah study. All right? So I want each of you to think of somebody that you can call and say, we're starting Genesis. You need to come. Right? Get people back in the swing. Unbelievable. All right. So we are in Deuteronomy. We are coming to, uh, we are at the reading that we actually read in Shul on Yom Kippur as liberal congregations. So we and the Reform Movement, the Reconstructionist Movement and the Reform Movement, um, we read uh, Nitzavim, this Parsha, uh, in Shul on uh, Yom Kippur. So we are going to look at that text, and I love that we we study it a few weeks before the Chagim because it means we get an, an opportunity to talk together about what we're going to be reading in Shul, which we often don't get to do, right? We often don't. We're sitting in Shul and we're looking at the parsha, but we don't, or we're not, <laughs> depending on what you're doing in Shul. Um, but if you're looking at it, you're not talking to anybody about it. We're not studying it. We're not really learning it um, together. So um, Dana Fine is here with Bibles. That's a good thing. Um, all right, so we're going to look at Nitzavim. Thank you all for your good wishes and your kind words. I am feeling well. Everything got bumped to this Tuesday. Um, it was not Friday, but I got to move my daughter into the dorm on Friday because I was not here. Um, so that was all day Friday, and then Tuesday was my um, procedure. And so far, so far, so good. So thank you all for um, holding me in your thoughts. And prayers, it worked. Hopefully. Hopefully. So Parshad Nitzavim. Elena Allen, can you unmute? Rabbi, it's so good to see you looking well. Thank you, Elena. Thank you. Would you be willing to read for us? Okay. I'm not All as good right. as, not as good as I used to be, but still hanging in. I love that. <laughs> okay. For, here you stand this day. That's, um, yeah, it, we're in Deuteronomy 29, verse 9. You, you stand this day, all of you, before your God Adonai, your tribal heads, your elders, and your officials, every householder in Israel, your children, your wives, even the stranger within your camp, from woodchopper to water drawer, to enter into the covenant of your God Adonai, which your God Adonai is concluding with you this day with its sanctions. Oh, in order to establish you this day as God's people and in order to be your God as promised you and as sworn to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I make this covenant with its sanctions, not with you alone, but both with those who are standing here with us this day before our God Adonai, and with those who are not with us here this day. Well, you should know that we dwell in the land of Egypt and that we pass through the midst of various other nations. And you have seen the detestable things and the fetishes of wood and stone, silver and gold that they keep. Perchance there is among you some man or woman or some clan or tribe whose heart is even now turning away from our God Adonai to go and worship the gods of those nations. Perchance there is among you a stock sprouting poison, weed, and wormwood. When hearing the words of these sanctions, they may imagine a special immunity, thinking, I shall be safe. I follow my own willful heart. 
to the utter ruin of moist and dry alike. Adonai will never forgive that party. Rather, Adonai's anger and passion will rage against them till every sanction recorded in this book comes down upon them and Adonai blocks out their name from under heaven. As for such a clan or tribe, Adonai will single it out from all the tribes of Israel for misfortune in accordance with all the sanctions of covenant recorded in this book of teaching. And later generations will ask, the children who succeed you and foreigners who come from distant lands and see the plagues and diseases that Adonai has inflicted upon the land. All its soil devastated by sulfur and salt beyond sowing and producing, no grass growing on it, just like the upheaval of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which Adonai overthrew in fierce anger. All nations will ask, why did Adonai do this thus to this land? Wherefore that awful wrath? They shall be told because they forsook the covenant that Adonai, God of their ancestors, made with them upon freeing them from the land of Egypt. They turned to the service of other gods, worshipped them, gods whom they had not experienced and whom God had not allotted to them. So Adonai was incensed at that land and brought upon all the curses recorded in his book, in this book. Adonai uprooted them from their soil in anger, fury, and great wrath and cast them into the other land, as is still the case. Concealed acts concern our God, Adonai, but with overt acts, it is for us and our children ever to apply all the provisions of this teaching. When all these things before you, the blessing and the curse that I've set before you, and you take them to heart amidst the various nations to which your God Adonai has banished you, and you return to your God Adonai and you and your children heed God's command with all your heart and soul, just as I enjoin upon you this day. Then your God Adonai will restore your fortunes and take you back in love. God will bring you together again from all the peoples where your God Adonai hath scattered you, even if you're outcasts or at the ends of the world. From there, your God Adonai will gather you. From there, God will fetch you. And your God Adonai will bring you to the land that your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And God will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your ancestors. Then your God, Adonai, will open up your heart and the hearts of your offspring to love your God, Adonai, with all your heart and soul in order that you may live. Your God, Adonai, will inflict all those curses upon the enemies and foes who persecuted you. You, however, will again heed Adonai and obey all the divine commandments that I enjoin upon you this day. And your God, Adonai, will grant you abounding prosperity in all your undertakings, in your issue from the womb, the offsprings of your cattle, and your produce from the soil. For Adonai will again delight in your well-being as in that of your ancestors. Since you will be heeding your God, Adonai, and keeping the divine commandments and laws that are recorded in this book of the teaching, once you return to your God with all your heart and soul. Surely this instruction which I enjoin upon you this day is not too baffling for you, nor is it beyond reach. It is not in the heavens that you should say, who among us can go up to the heavens and get it for us and impart it to us that we may observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who among us can cross to the other side of the sea and get it for us and impart it to us that we may observe it? No, the thing is very close to you in your mouth and in your heart to observe it. See, I set before you this day, this day life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I command you this day to love your God, to walk in God's ways and to keep God's commandments, God's laws and God's rules, 
that you may thrive and increase, and that your God, Adonai, may bless you in the land that you are about to enter and possess. But if your heart turns away and you give no heed and are lured into the worship and service of other gods, I declare to you this day that you shall certainly perish. You shall not long endure on the soil that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. I have put forth you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life if you and your offspring would live. By loving your God, Adonai, heeding God's commandments and holding fast to God, for thereby you shall have life and shall long endure upon the soil that Adonai swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Oh, Ishkoach, Elena. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was heavy duty. Can I just talk for a minute about it? I'm yeah. shivering over here. Elena. Oh, my God, Elena. <laughs> Let's do that every week. Right? So um, uh, purposely, I, I did not interrupt the reading because I wanted you to hear Nitzavim delivered as right? It's meant to be, it's a full address in itself, right? To, to the people. Um, and no one could deliver it better than Elena Allen, uh, for us. Um, th- so you hear, when you listen to it uninterrupted, you hear the cadence, you hear the reference, you hear, um, themes come back up, you hear, right? It circles back to some things. It's, it's, it's not simply a straightforward, you know, instruction book, right? That this is, this is prose, really. Um, and a, and a powerful choice, I think, by the reform and reconstructionist movements to read on Yom Kippur. Um, so a little bit from y'all. So talk to me a little bit about why, why, why did they pick this reading for Yom Kippur? Why this one? There's a lot to pick from. If you're not going to do the traditional reading, the Avoda service, if you're not going to really look at the priest, you know, the temple service, then there's lots of things you could do. Why, why, why this? Mm-hmm. We're starting a new year. Okay. Get a, another chance to get it a little bit better. And this is our time to choose life and all that it means in following the, the path that we've chosen. So at a new year, we have the opportunity to choose, to start over, and to choose differently, presumably, um, to choose life. Okay? Other thoughts? I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, still, I'm still a little shook up. <laughs> David's saying he's still a little shook, shook up, but he'll try to talk. <laughs> Did y'all hear Judith when she talked? No. no. Okay. Can you can you summarize what these um, in person people said? So I summarized what Judith said. Um, <laughs> and David is saying, um, "Is that working, y'all?" We didn't hear what Judith said either. Okay, so I repeated that she said it's the start of a new year. We have a choice. We can choose life. Um, and David is saying that our personal choices, each of us has to make individual choices, but it segues into a national choice, essentially. Is it working now? I don't think so. Lisa, will you get Justin? Yeah. Thank you. So, so that each of us at the high holidays are, you said on Yom Kippur, we tend to be concerned with our own individual choices and our own repentance and... So, so you're saying this reading suggests it's not just an individual choice, that it has an impact on the nation and, and then the people, and that each of us as individuals have to get our act together, and if not, the nation has no hope, right? It's, yeah, right. Dana? And then I was struck by the fact that 
they talk about other gods. So during this time, you know, uh, the author, God, acknowledge that there are other gods out there. So so Dana's pointing out that we're concerned about other gods here, and so acknowledging there are other gods. But today, if you think about it, we are tempted by so many other things. So it's still, the message is still there. So even though the language is other gods, we get it that there are other things that pull us, right, and entice us the same way that Deuter- the Deuteronomist is concerned about other gods and idolatry. Right, so Deuteronomy is very concerned with idolatry. Very concerned. That's the MO of the Deuteronomist. Remember, this is a religious revival. Um, and so the Deuteronomist is deeply concerned with monotheism. Um, and with the Israelite allegiance to yod and to the covenant. And so, um, and so we, that, that is the way the Deuteronomist talks about it, but we certainly understand now that there are other things that we are pulled by and towards that pull us off the course of what we understand to be the covenant. Mark? Uh, so this is Moses' third and final speech to the people, right? Mm-hmm. So I like 3011. Mark is pointing us to 30.11. It isn't above, it isn't below what we're doing here on Yom Kippur. Each day of our lives is within us. Get in touch with it and choose life. So you liked this verse that said, um, this instruction which I enjoin you upon this day is not too baffling for you, nor is it beyond reach. It is not in the heavens, right, that you should say who's going to go get it. It's not beyond the sea that you should say. Who can cross over and get it? No, the thing is very close to you, says Torah, in your mouth and in your heart, la'asoto, to do it. Um, that it is very close, right? That it is not that somebody else needs to go figure this out for us. Rather, right, we are in direct relationship to an understanding of what is what is necessary for us to fulfill the covenant. Okay. Um, all right. Anybody? There's nobody at home. Come on. Come on, at home. Talk. Hi, this is Brian. Um, howdy. Uh, Hi, Brian. So this, uh, to answer your question as to why on Yom Kippur is this said, this is not just a call to behavior. This is a call to belief. This is a call to what's in your mind. What's oh, you froze right at the good part. Brian, don't, you're killing us. Oh, man, he was just getting going. Oh. Oh, you're back. Okay. Okay, so. Ah! (laughs) Internet, internet. So I think what Brian is trying to say is it's not just about action. It's not just about behavior. It's about, right, Deuteronomy is about an orientation to the world, right? It's about how we perceive everything. Like what, what is it that's, that's in our mouth, in our heart, in our mind? What, what do we spend our time, um, thinking about? What, how do we orient ourselves when we think about what we're looking at? Like what, when we're addressing the world, what is, what is our posture? Um, I think that's absolutely right. Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomist here points to a, an attitude and a perspective that's as important. Orient yourselves towards life. Orient yourselves towards those things that keep you true, right, to, that are going to impact your behavior. There are things that start before behavior. There are things that influence and impact and determine in some ways our behavior, right? Was that what you were saying, Brian? <laughs> God bless him. Starts here. Right? All right. Starts here. Amen. Okay. All right. So let's, so this language is interesting. Um, nitzavim. So we, we get this word nitzav and we've talked about this a lot of times. I know that, but I want to repeat it because it bears repeating. So when we talk about standing, what's the Hebrew word for stand? La'amod. Thank you, Pam. La'amod. To stand. So, or was that Rita? Whoever it was, Rita, stars. Um, so, la'amod, to stand. So, if I'm going to say that I, the, the word, the participle is omed, the word is omed, we have nitzav, 
which is not a word used generally of a human being standing. So, um, so already right from the get-go, we have language that is different than usual when we talk about folks standing. So we get this actually though in three places. Um, this, this lehit yatsev, it's a reflexive verb, lehit yatsev, to stand oneself. And we get it, um, three places. We get it in Exodus, we get it here, and we get it in Joshua. In all three instances, this is the verb used when they're talking about the people standing to enter the covenant. Stand up. So, right. So what are the implications of the word nitzav? So it is um, used to stand at attention, to stand ready. Um, it is when you're conscripted into the Israeli army, this is the word that's used. To conscript them. Uh huh. David? Okay. Sure. Um, why not? Um, so uh, that that sense of being present, that sense of being ready to do what's needed, is definitely there in in Hitiatsev. Um, it is what one uses of a monument. So this one's reflexive. So we do it to ourselves. We you know we stand ourselves. But if it, in the non-reflexive, the regular sense of the verb, it is what one does with a monument. A monument is. We say erected, but that, so that's, that's the sense, right? That it is a different kind of standing, um, that's, that's meant here. So this is used in three places. So we know this is trigger language for us that lets us know this is, this is a big moment. This is not just they happen to be standing around. They are assembled, right? To, to hear these words from, in this case, Moshe. Um, and who's here, right? It's important who's here. Your tribal heads, your elders, your officials, every householder, so every head of house, head of household in Israel, who's also present, your children, even your wives. Even your wives are present. Um, the stranger within your camp, and then we get this interesting expression from wood chopper to water drawer. So, um, from A to Z, you might say, so there's a technical term for this. I forget what it's called when you include everything with two terms. You know, you use two terms, but it's two terms to say you mean and everything in between. Um, I forget what it's called. So, but it, this is one of those. Um, so we get from wood chopper to water drawer. Possibly some people want to point to this to say that these are the most denigrated positions in Israelite society uh, and in the ancient Near East wood chopper and water drawer. These were like the lowest of the low. These are sanitation engineers. Um, they're just considered lowly jobs. And so it's, it's meant to say every single one of you, not just by your um, category or whatever, by, by gender, by age, by whatever, but also by class, right? By occupation. Mark? Male and female occupations in ancient Israel, wood chopper and water drawer. Okay. Um, so, so everybody's here, um, including the stranger, right? Including people who are not included in the corpus of Israel, but who live among Israelites. They are included in the covenant. Okay. So here we get um, to enter into the covenant with God is concluding with you this day with its sanctions, all all covenants have sanctions. That's the whole idea. In order to establish you this day as God's people, in order to be your God has promised you and has sworn to your ancestors. I make this covenant with its sanctions, not with you alone, but with those of you who are standing here with us this day before God and those who are not with us here this day. So this was a cause for a lot of question by the rabbis. Who could that possibly mean? How can you implicate someone in a covenant who's not there? If they don't agree to the covenant, how can you implicate somebody in a covenant? How can they be held accountable to the conditions of the covenant if they're not there? The Israelites have to be there. All of them have to be there. Atem, kulchem, all y'all. 
all y'all have to be here. Well, if all y'all have to be here, how can you implicate people who aren't there? Doesn't that sound like mutually exclusive? So it's a, it's a dilemma. Like, what is that supposed to mean? So of course we know what the rabbis do with this is they say, this is about the Israelites who were then standing and all of the Israelites who would descend from them. They are bound in the same way by this covenant. And for those who want to say, well, how can you possibly do that? You, they, they're not there. They're not agreeing to it, but we think about our ancestors who came here to America as citizens. Because they came to America as citizens, and we are now American citizens. We are bound by the laws of America. We are bound in a covenant we did not choose. This is the same idea, so it's not a new idea. It's, you know, it's a little strange for us, but, but it's actually true. Like you, you have obligations just based, not just, you have obligations based on obligations that you're your family opted into that then are binding on you, right? Okay, so so that's exactly what's happening here, say the rabbis, um, with with the Israelites. Well, you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we passed through the midst of various other nations, and you have seen the detestable things and the fetishes, right, of stone, silver, and gold that they keep. Again, the Deuteronomist is very concerned about idolatry, very concerned with the temptations of those fetishes of gold and silver. Dana? Yeah, I just want to say that the Torah trope in this section you're reading right now has a lot of deities in it, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and it, you know, it's like it has five. <clears throat> okay, so, so what Dana's talking about, those of you who are looking at the Hebrew on the screen, if you look where my cursor is circling, these two lollipops above the word, Bachem, uh, if you look here over Isha, then this little squiggle down here, then you have all of these are trope marks. So this little lollipop on the left, all of these are trope markings. This is how you chant these verses. So those of us who know trope, we we know what these signs are and we know what they're telling us to do. And what Dana's pointing out is that this is very elaborate cantillation here. So the Tlisha Gidola, the right-facing lollipop, is a fancy sign, and there are two of them on one word of three letters, <clears throat> right? So two very ornate cantorial um, thingies on one word that has three letters. <laughs> so that's a lot for a tiny little word, two Tlisha Gidola chantings for that one word. Um, and, and then uh, this other stuff is a little more regular, but, but it's still a lot. There's still a lot of trope markings here for a very, you know, it, there's a lot of trope markings, meaning it's, um, you're singing a lot over these words. Um, so thank you. So the point of that, that Dana was making is that it's to, it's to when you're sitting in shul and you're listening to this, you know, the cantillation is the same. There's only three major phrases of cantillation in Torah and in Haftarah. So when you, the, the cantillation sounds pretty much the same. Y'all could imitate it, right? For those of you who know, who've been here, you could totally imitate it. Um, when you have it like this, it, even people who are used to hearing it, you kind of sit up because the Tlishagadola twice, then you've got all this like, cantillation going really quickly over this stuff. So it's not drawn out and slower and whatever. It's very intense. So it's calling attention to itself. This are the, this is the Masoretes saying, pay attention to these words, Jews sitting in shul who we know you're sleeping. We know you're either gossiping or sleeping. And so pay attention, right? So all of a sudden the cantillation gets super intense. All right. So and where, and where's the cantillation that Dana pointed out getting super intense? Perhaps there's someone among you who even now your heart's turning away from God, right? To worship gods of those other people. But, you know, but you think it's no big deal. I'll be safe, right? That's where the cantillation is super like, pay attention. Lest you think you're safe, right? With what's going on. Um, for you, because it will, as to David's point, um, it will be to the utter ruin of moist and dry alike. If you think that way, 
you will behave in a way that's going to bring down the whole project around everybody's ears. All right. <clears throat> what does Bachel mean? In y'all. Among y'all. Perhaps there is someone among y'all is where the cantillation goes crazy. Meaning y'all, pay attention. <laughs> right? Well, I'm talking to you. I'm talking about y'all. Right? All right. So, um, so the Torah is saying God will take care of it. Like God, you may think you get away with it, but God will not forget. Right? God is not going to forget and God is not going to forgive that. The, what, the damage you're going to do to the entire community by thinking that you act with impunity. Um, all right. God will single out that tribe from all the tribes for uh, misfortune in accordance with the sanctions of the covenant recorded in this Torah, right? Meaning in Deuteronomy. And later generations will ask. So people are going to come along and say, what the heck? Happen. I think of Planet of the Apes, you know, that scene where you see at the end of Planet of the Apes, um, you, right, that it's, that it's actually Earth and that there's the, the Statue of Liberty, like in the sand. Um, that's, that's what I think of when I think of this piece of Torah is next generations are going to come along and go, what did y'all do? Like, what happened? This was New York City. What happened here? Well, what happened, right, <laughs> right, is that plagues and diseases were inflicted on the land. The soil was devastated, right? There was no plowing and sowing, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. We know about Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what happened there. It blew up. Sodom and Gomorrah blew up. Bitumen gets lit on fire by lightning, and it blows up. So we know that Sodom and Gomorrah blew up. Um, uh, Adma and Zivoim. No idea, um, but similar fate apparently to Stom and Gmara. And right, the nations around Israel will ask, why would yud heh vav -Hey do this to God's beloved people and to God's right own land right, where God was living with them? Why would God do that? And they will be told. What will they be told? Because they forsook the covenant that the God of their ancestors made with them upon freeing them from the land of Egypt. And they turned to the service of other gods and worshipped other gods who they had not experienced and whom God had not allotted to them. The other nations can worship other gods. This is not pure monotheism. We're still not at pure monotheism. We're closer than Genesis, but we're still not there. The Deuteronomist acknowledges Fine. Other nations can worship Baal and Asherah. That's fine. That is their chelek. That's their portion. God apportioned those gods to them. Only we get Yudhe the real God, right? And, and, and exclusively must be exclusive in that relationship to God. Um, and so God was incensed and the land brought about it all the curses. Right. And what does the land do? It uproots them. Right. In anger and fury and great wrath and casts them into another land by the writing of the Deuteronomist, as is still the case. There's your tell. There's your tell. Now, look at verse 28, Dana. And look there and you will see stuff that is not cantillation marks. What do you see? 2928. <laughs> yeah, well, what's. So, what do you see? Ah, what do you. A whole slew of what? Ah, but it's not. That's not cantillation. Interestingly enough, all of you can see it here. You see over these words that I'm circling with my cursor on the screen. Do you see? That is not cantillation. They are a scribal tradition that are dots over those words that appears in every single Sefer Torah. It is a scribal tradition passed down from scribe to student um, that this is one of the places in Torah where we see these dots uh, over the words. It is a form, obviously, of 
emphasis. Um, but of course, the question becomes, why these? Why are these words lifted up as ones that get this much focus? Um, what are these words? These words, lanu, ulvanenu, for us and for our children, is what the dots um, are over. And if it's not cantillation, how is it, how is it projected? So the cantillation is actually under the lamed. So Dana, do you see that? And all of y'all, but I know Dana's looking carefully. So this is actually mapach pashta, right? Mapach pashta is how you chant it, right? So la nu la ulvanenu. So it's it's mapach pashta, but the dots are there as emphasis. So we get cantillation. It's just not the dots. It, the cantillation is normal. Mapach pashta katon is the cantillation. All right. So, where are my people? There are my people. Okay. So, very much this is the language of uh, the Deuteronomist around exile, around what happens when the people are punished. What could they possibly be punished for? What could be so bad that it would warrant um, all of these horrible things happening? And of course, um, the Deuteronomist understanding is that they have violated the covenant chiefly by worshiping other gods. Um, certainly that is not what calls to us. So I want to ask, so what about this then calls to you? What, what, why? And it might not. This is much the language of the Deuteronomist, the obsession with idolatry and punishment. Um, may not work at all for you. I find this still a very powerful text, um, and I'm glad we read it in Shul um, on the holidays, but want to hear from you. What, if, it's not, if, if, if we're not worried about idolatry, how is this powerful anymore? Mark? So Mark is saying he thinks about it outside in. Because, um, you know, certainly... Uh, can you all hear him? Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, certainly, uh, I think there there are lots of uh, uh, layers of meaning of this, and the and the the uh, the uh, layer that is uh, on top, I think, is is very clear. But also, all of this, uh, at least to me, to, to the way I hear it, uh, points to the inner struggle and uh, to the fact that. Uh, um, uh, bearing with the covenant uh, is not just a matter of behavior. It's a matter of an inner struggle with ourselves, with parts of ourselves who are that are not necessarily uh, oriented toward uh, the uh, what uh, uh, Adonai is asking uh, directly, but with our own struggle against that and to behave in other ways. Nice. Uh, and I think uh, almost everything that we've talked about uh, can be read not only inside out, but outside in as well. Nice. So we, you know, we have an internal battle going on about what are we going to line up with, um, right? And that that the language of um, of witnessing, right, is also, you know, there, there's witnesses to what what we choose, right? And and there's choice, right? All right, y'all at home, come on. George, I'm mute. Am I now? I'm muted. You're good. <clears throat> yeah, the the concept. I agree. When you have a covenant, there should be sanctions, and that's. Very real, but in the extreme, it says uh, that we are guilty for the Holocaust because we did something wrong. We are guilty for uh, anti-Semitism because we have done something wrong. And I prefer other explanations, like there are some evil people, (laughs) people who have chosen on their free choice to do evil and that we should, it is not our fault that these things happen. We are not being punished for uh, 
uh, sins in some of these cases. Okay, so uh, George points out that this is not our theology, right? That we don't have a theology that says terrible things happen to us because it's all our fault, um, which is true. Um, however, I think you can still read this text very profoundly and even on the nose without having that theology. So for me, the way I read exactly what you're talking about, George, is if we live in line with the covenant, the covenant that says I can't just get whatever I want. Because if I do that, if I just consume whatever I want and everybody else does the same thing, we will bring about climate catastrophe. This will come to pass, not because of God, but because of us. That our behavior, when it doesn't line up with the values, the ideals, and the limits placed on us by covenantal understanding, if we behave antithetical to the covenant and the values that we know make up that covenant, we will bring about all of these things. We will bring about destruction. We will bring about rain that doesn't fall from the sky. We will bring about earth that is so cracked and dry and parched that it cannot grow anything. That absolutely I can accept. I don't need God to do it. I can skip that part of this text and still hear incredible um power in choose because you have a choice every single day unless you sit on your tush watching television all day and i guess that's a choice um then unless that's what you're doing you're choosing every day and so are you going to choose in line with the values of our tradition or are you not going to choose in line with that and and if like to david's point and, and like other people have said if you it's not just you, individual schmulek. Like it's each of you makes choices. And when all y'all eat as individuals make choices, it's a collective. And when you as a collective consume to the point that you're consuming, you will kill the life on this planet. You won't kill the planet. I learned that at Hartman. I need to quit saying that. The planet will be fine. Life on this planet just won't exist. Okay. The planet will be fine. Right. But you will kill life on this planet. George, does that make sense? Yes, but you still have. Uh, right. There are things where we can do. But in the Holocaust, for example, those people made their choices. And but uh, why the Holocaust? Why does that? Why is that the first place? If we're not talking about God, if we're talking about human beings, then talk to me about the Holocaust. Yes, the human beings they make choices to do evil. Yes. And right. And I think that is an explanation, but that the extreme interpretation of what we just read is that we are being punished. And I'm saying that this Right. So I'm saying take that out. I'm saying take that out. Take God okay. out of it. Take God out of it. Just per, just play with me. Take God out of it and then read the text. If you live in line with the covenant, things will go well. If you don't, you the skies will dry up. The earth will dry up. Yes. You will be spit out of the land. I can totally get with the injunction of, I totally get the power of that. Take God out of it. If we don't start living in line with the values of the covenant, we are all in deep trouble. And to your point, George, had people intervened sooner, the Holocaust would not have been what it was. Yes. Had human beings lived into the ideals of this covenant and not stand by idly on the blood of your neighbor, guess what? Six million would not have died. Doesn't have to involve God. It involves humanity. And what choices will we make? Will we line up with justice, equity, fairness, compassion, Forgiveness, transformation, freedom, equity. Will we line our choices up with that? Then the world's going to go one way. And if we don't, things like the Shoah are inevitable. Absolutely inevitable. Because people are evil. We have the capacity for evil. Dana. I just wanted to make the point. So the inner struggle is within... You're struggling, but you're in the community struggling. I mean, if you're struggling by yourself on the top of a mountain, it, it's this is not what that's about. That's right. So our tradition is one that says, yes, you must struggle individually to make your own choices, and you do that in a community. 
all y'all are the ones responsible for the covenant. Not, not just each of you. It is each of you, but it isn't just each of you has a relationship with God and you tend to that and deal with that and you can be in your monastery, right? And, and have a perfectly right, right relationship. That's not Judaism. Judaism says it's, it's not a solo flight. David? Where's Bert when you need him? No, I just, um, sorry. No, I'm talking about this idea of a, of a collective destiny, too, given the place where this is, because the, okay, we're in Deuteronomy now, and in a way, it is a collective fate, because the people who left Egypt, they kind of got a raw deal. They, they, they died in the desert for the most part, except, you know, so it is a collective fate, um, more than, and it's, it's a hard thing to come to terms with. I mean, I, I've always struggled with it because I'd like to think, you know, I'm taking care of myself by being a good person, but sometimes, or, or not being a good, you know, that I'm going to have, but we know that, that bad people prosper and good people get screwed. And so this, this really is about, um, a, a collective fate. And it's, it's not easy to give yourself over to a collective fate because we're, we're essentially selfish. People, aren't we? So, so, and to your point, I think the other point you're making is it's hard for us as Americans. Okay. It's really hard for us as Americans. Yes. This oh, idea of collective fate, right? Because we are the individualists of the universe, Americans. <laughs> Truly, our culture is so centered on I'm taking care of myself. I'm doing my thing. I'm going to get my act together. I'm right. And we, we are individualists. We are so about individualism. It is. It is actually hard in some ways the, the way we're choosing to do things. And, and we resist this idea of collective faith. Well, I, I would, okay. I mean, I'm thinking also about immigrant families where the first generation knows they're not going to have a great life, but maybe my kids will have a, you know, this kind of, and that's also American. So, but okay, I'll, I'll dump on America too. <laughs> no, I'm just saying yeah. when you say we resist, we do resist the idea. It's very hard for us, the idea of collective faith. Yes, I'm saying personally. It's very it's, hard. It's hard. For I us. I like it. I and wanna, and I yet, like if you watch, you know, like if you watched our country's reputation, you know, in the world community, there wasn't much I could do about that or you could do about that. And it just was tanking. That's collective faith. Right? That's. But there is such a thing, and there certainly is such a thing here, you know, and I think we're all... Yeah, and I think it's it, very I think, real. As long as you have human communities, there's collective there's collective impacts. I mean, that, to me, at least, on Yom Kippur and Rosh that's always the temptation, is like, oh, man, like, my fate depends on these schmoes. Like, I'll, I'll be good, but now i got to rely on... We've got to all do it together. That That's... Too big an ass. So that's hard, right? And that's what we're asked to do is accept that the people sitting next to us are also our responsibility, are within our, you know, circle of care. And we have to try to impact one another in a way that our communities behave collectively, right? In ways that are helpful and healing and, and all those things. We always remark on how many people come for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that we never see any other time during the year. And perhaps that's an, a, a vote for the community involvement. At least they come together for those holidays to remind themselves that we are a community. Because I think there's something still compelling. I think there's something compelling that we don't get in our individualistic society um, and that still calls Jews home that calls Jews home once a year. Yeah, I mean, that's what the book of Jonah is about, in a way. Right. These schmoes. You know, I, I think uh, you lifted up the powerful message of this week's Sandra, and that is what we do matters. And what we read a few minutes ago, the choices are within us. It's within us. Do we throw plastic on the street? Do we blah, blah, blah? And it's all about awareness, awareness of your action, awareness of the power that's within what Mark said, the inner struggle to move toward good with the pull always to maybe cut corners. So I think your teaching is really powerful.
Thank you, Mark. Um, and, you know, I guess what I would ask George is, you know, so George, for them, it was really compelling, this idea that if you don't, God will do this, God will do that, God will do this, God will do that. What's, what, what compels us, right? Like, what's compelling to us? Do you know what I mean? Like, I get it for them that the language was very direct. If you, if you do this, God will take care of you. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. And, right? I mean, what, what is compelling to us? Yes, I think that the, the individual choice, the option that uh, we have free will. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the things, uh, the original sin could have been Adam not taking responsibility, uh, which may be a distortion of what you said many years ago. No, I but love it I, that you remember. I love that. Yeah. It makes me so happy. Uh, but the the individual responsibility that the and I loved your thing that uh, the the Nazis individuals in a group chose to do something it was their free will but that again as you pointed out the um, allies American and what have you chose not to act earlier. So it's it's a matter of free will and that whether you get others uh, to do, to make the same choices we, uh, that I would like or that you would like. Uh, and sometimes it's uh, big lies, as we saw in Hitler and, and uh, ex-presidents here. So it seems that like the theological punishment aspect is what moves you know the israelite community to say okay we better take this seriously well what about us as liberal jews what compels us to take this seriously living in line with the covenant standing as a community making choices as individuals making choices as a community taking seriously our responsibility for our community and our behavior as a community as a city as a state as a country not acting is a sin. So Dana's saying not acting is a sin. So si- sin is motivating? Well, there's a consequence. And what's the consequence? <laughs> Thank you, David. It's a consequence. <laughs> you said it fine. <laughs> hmm? what's, what's the consequence? What's That those who choose to do ill or bad things will... Take control, you know. So if we don't act, right, then evildoers will. And it certainly is more difficult. Take over. To, it's more difficult to act as an individual versus a community, and I think that's why we come together and we hear people come from different organizations to teach us and tell us how we can act as a community. That's, okay. that's a big message. Okay. I mean, I think it's something for us to think about, you know, as liberal Jews. What is compelling to us that, that compels our behavior, right, to change, like to, you know, to take it seriously? What What is compelling to us? I know for me, you know, climate catastrophe is fairly compelling. I mean, does it always direct my choices? No. Um, right? You know, but when I think about standing on Yom Kippur and how moved I am, every Rosh Hashanah, every Yom Kippur, looking out at you all, like, it is so moving, and so powerful. And for me, part of it is there's a, there's a real power to what if, right? I see all y'all out there and everybody's so intent. And I, and I, all I can feel, and I don't even think it, I feel it ev- with every part of me. What if, what if we really leaned into this and right Imagine what we could change. Imagine what would be di- Imagine what we could do. Imagine the impact. Right? And I don't know. I don't know. I'm just so moved by it every year. And I feel like I'm so glad Jews come home every year for it. And, and Jew, you know, people who are Jewish adjacent who find, um, meaning and value in these traditions and in this gathering. And, um, and it, it makes me so hopeful every year that this many people Choose to be somehow obligated by community, 
by understanding we don't do this alone. We do this together and this, and that they are compelled by this to try to act a little differently this year. There's no reason to be there otherwise. Will we achieve it? Who knows? But every single person in that room, unless they were like my child, dragged there, then they are there, and hopefully it rubs off, um, they are there, right, because they do really want to try to do it a little differently th- this year. And that is so hopeful to me um, and, and remains a really powerful reminder that that we we can achieve a lot if we just get it together. Amy. And do it together. Yes. Amy. Who's Amy. speaking? Yes. Um, the sad part to me is that it takes the Roe v. Wade decision to galvanize the community to act together to finally do something constructive here. Yeah. And it's sad uh, to me that it. Yeah. That's the power that you need to get individuals to act collectively. Yeah. That human nature is that unless it comes to threaten closer to my front door, I'm not angry enough or motivated enough or energized enough, you know, to get off my tuchus and, and actually, you know, organize or, or do so. I, I agree. It's, it's the harder part of human nature, um, that, that we have to deal with and that we have to live with, right? Is that, Often it's not until it comes knocking at my front door that I have enough energy to to get up and do something that's uncomfortable. Sometimes we see the punishment first, as in the case of war. The consequence. Sometimes we see the consequence first, and then and and then and and then we get the curses, right? We get consequences, right? George, don't freak out. Like they can just be consequences of our behavior, right? That doesn't have to be dependent on God bringing them, right? But that, that that's what the curses are about. They're about consequences. Um, okay, David? So, sorry, you know, someone else brought this up. They 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 uh, uh, liked, you know, verse 12. It's not in the heavens across the sea and that. And um, as they said that, it, it occurred to me also that they, you know, the, um, if there's, that there is, this can be manipulated because I can come along and say, well, here's, here's what we need to do. This is what God wants. And in a way, this is rebuking that and saying, you know, don't let someone else stand in the way. It's not so remote that you can't do it yourself. So that you, you know, it's, it's sort of short circuiting the demagogue is, is, is what I'm saying. And it's kind of interesting. I noticed for the first time, you know, it's, it's sort of here saying, you know, you go, you just, you know, you know, don't let somebody else tell you what the right thing to do is, you know, nice. you, you can reach out, nice. you can do that. And I think that, that, um, it's in your mouth yes, exactly. and in your heart to do right. it. Right. You, like, don't, you, you don't need someone to tell discern you. for yourself. Exactly. And that, and that's, and that, um, uh, that's, a, that's very, very important because people have used uh, in the past, you know, like they, they sort of stand in the way. They say, this is, this is what I think we need to do in order to, in order to, uh, you know, avoid this fate. And it's complete bullshit because it's what they, you know, it's, so it's saying it's close. You can do it. You can, don't, don't let it be stand in the way you decide. Well, ironically, it's the Deuteronomist who's coming to tell us what we should do to avoid that fate. So that's exactly what this is, by the way, is a program of what the Deuteronomist feels we should do. Right. But what I want to say is, okay, then I'm, I'm reinterpreting. I, you're reinterpreting. Good. That's good. That's our tradition. Um, but what I was going to say is remember that also it comes in the context of Hatorah Hazot, this Torah. It is laid out what's supposed to happen, what you're supposed to do. Now you figure out how you in your life need to, what you need to do to orient yourself towards everything that's written here that you're supposed to do okay, least, and not do. At least it's saying don't pass off the responsibility Correct. to someone else. You can't pass it off to someone yeah, else. Exactly. You have to figure it out for yourself. You know, it's like when you're teaching kids math or so, you know, like, it's like you, you figure it, you know, like, right. don't, don't, I'm not going to figure it out for you. So this, so this is a good place for us to stop is to say um, that the holidays really are about understanding that there is a collective and the collective has an impact 
We have a collective fate. We have a collective destiny. Each of us alone has to stand within that community and figure out what that means for us this year. What it means to David's point, you know, what can I do to impact and affect the political direction, let's say, of, you know, women, a woman's right to choose? What, what is, I just wrote a $1,000 check to join the president's circle for, of Planned Parenthood. And I'm not, I'm not doing that to say anything other than, okay, I had to ask, all right, what can I do right now? There's not a lot I can do right now, but they invited me to join the president's circle that I can do. It's on each of us to say, what is it I can do? And only each of us can answer that for ourselves. And then we have to ask as a collective, what is it we need, right, to, to be doing as, as a collective to, to start turning the bigger, the bigger right. ship and that, and that like the food drive and right. Exactly. A great example, Ju- Judith, that we each bring, we each contribute as we can. But when we all do that together, the food drive, we do that as a community. And it is one of the biggest, it is the biggest impact that they have all year. Um, at the time of year, they need it most when people are choosing between school supplies, <laughs> medicine and food. Um, and that's just a pitch for y'all to make sure you go online today and donate to the food drive because we make a huge, serious impact in L.A. on food insecurity. And they count on us um, every year. Watch the video that we're going to send out because it, it, it's impactful. Thank you all, for, as always, for your attention. I have a handout for you um, who are here that kind of goes to this both individual and collective thing. So I'm glad we got there. Um, it's from Tikkun. Uh, and it is by Mark Kirschbaum. It will, of course, be with the podcast. It'll be posted with the podcast for those of you at home um, who want to look at it. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.